In our study at this hour, friends, we hope that the Holy Spirit will make clear to us how we should communicate with men and women who appear antagonistic or flippant or unconcerned. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, it says, For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. I'd like you to notice four classes of individuals to whom we communicate. The first is obviously sincere, seeking. Like the individual who called me on the telephone at midnight from across the continent and presented to me in sobs his longing for reconciliation in his home. He hoped that somehow I might be some factor in this. Yes, I could pray. It was obvious that he was a seeker. But of course, I could not compel or try to compel love. Love cannot be compelled. Love is based either on admiration, romantic love, or common interest, filial love, or divine pity, divine love. And only if this is present can there be a true reconciliation, you see. But this was an obvious seeker. All of us are able to recognize the obvious seeker. But then the second class is that individual who appears to be extremely antagonistic. We're tempted not even pray for this individual. And if we do talk with this individual, we're tempted to take him on to win an argument, or to belittle him. Notice God's attitude toward this belligerent appearing person. In the 102nd Psalm, verses 20 and 21, it says, He hath looked down from his sanctuary. From the height of heaven hath the Lord beheld the earth to hear the groaning of the prisoner and to loose those who are appointed to death. God looks down and he, and he sees inside of the human heart. He looks beyond the mask over the face. He looks beyond the facade of bitterness and antagonism, which we don't usually do. We don't stop usually to diagnose, to analyze. Why is this person bitter? Why does he appear to be so antagonistic? The answer is very simple. No man can love until he knows he is loved, 1 John 4, 19. So the individual who appears so bitter, so antagonistic, is actually reflecting a situation that exists in his heart. Who loves me? Does anybody care? Is there a God in heaven who is giving me any hope? And not realizing that there is infinite love extended to him and forgiveness and cleansing, he becomes more and more bitter. And if we look on the outward appearance, reali not realizing that the basic trouble with his heart is that he doesn't know he's loved, and we do not reflect love, our whole communication is counterproductive. Let me give you an illustration of how we can communicate with those who apparently are so antagonistic. By the way, you may wish to read at your convenience 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 24 to 26. It says there, 
that we should in meekness communicate to those who oppose themselves. If peradventure, God will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. A personal illustration of how nearly I came to completely misunderstanding the bitter antagonist. We're conducting a series of meetings in a, in a tabernacle. We devoted seven and a half minutes to questions and answers. One evening, as we're still in the prayer room, just before we were ready to step on the rostrum, somebody stepped in thinking we were through praying and handed me a set of questions. They were typewritten. There were 28 series of questions, several questions in each series. And as I looked at this series of questions, I glanced down quickly and I noticed it said, read these aloud to the audience and then answer them. At once I realized just to have read them to the audience would take probably 15 minutes. And we only had devoted seven and a half minutes to the question answer period. And I noticed that these questions are very belligerent. And at once the coon in me said, ah, I can nail that fella to the wall. I have enough text of scripture to take care of that, smarty. And then, thank the Lord, the Lord caught up with me. And the Lord said something like this, how would it be if you represented Jesus instead of Kuhn? I said, oh Lord, tell me. Yes, be kind to this man. He doesn't know the love of God. This is why he's bitter. If you can reveal, if you can reflect, if you can dramatize the kindness of Jesus Christ and the infinite love of God, you may lead him to repentance. Oh, I said, thank you, Lord. But I still sort of bristled, you know. I'd like to take him on, Lord. No, don't take him on that way. Take him on my way. When I stepped out onto the rostrum and answered a lot of other questions, I only had about maybe 30 seconds left. I picked up this series of questions, 28 series of questions. By this time, the Lord had gotten through. And I said, friends, I hold in my hand some wonderful questions. <laughs> they were, they were full of wonder. <laughs> and I said, I'm sure these questions come from a very sincere individual. They deserve far more than a few moments. This fine individual deserves an hour or two when we could sit down quietly together. And I'd be happy to do that since our time is so limited now. And with that, I laid the questions aside. I went into my sermon. The Holy Spirit blessed me because I'd let Jesus control me. This man was sitting through the sermon. He hadn't signed his name. Two or three nights later, I got another letter from this same individual. Dear sir, the way you answered my questions the other night broke my heart. Then he went on to say, I was reared in a Christian home. As a little boy, I knelt by my mother's knee. I was in love with Jesus Christ. But as I grew up, little by little, I lost my fellowship in Jesus. I began to backslide and wander away from him. Then I began to pick up these infidelic, atheistic, doubting books and little by little I lost the Lord entirely until finally everything in my life seemed to go wrong and I became very bitter and he said so I've wandered on for years without God without hope and he said with that thought in mind I came to the conclusion 
that Christianity was a humbug and Christians were all hypocrites. And I came to your meeting the other night to stir up a little strife. But he said, when you treated me as kindly, so kindly as you did, it broke my heart. I listened through your sermon, and the Lord got through to me with his love. I returned home from your meeting, and sir, for the first time since I was a little child, I fell on my knees before my heavenly Father, and I implored him to forgive me for all my transgression. I received forgiveness and cleansing, and now he is my personal Savior. Friends, as I read that letter, it seemed like the goosebumps almost came out on my arms. Suppose I'd taken him on, not recognizing, not analyzing, not diagnosing that the reason why he was belligerent was he didn't understand that God loved him. And God had, through me, unworthy though I was, revealed a little of that love. How shall we treat the antagonist? Oh, friends, realize that he is bitter, he's antagonistic because he doesn't know the love of God. Instead of our arguing and belittling and taking him on, let's say, oh, Lord, reveal through me to him that God loves him. He loves him just as he is. God isn't say, saying, when you shape up, I'll love you. While we were yet sinners and enemies, God loved us. There's another class. The third class is the unconcerned, apparently. Uh, maybe they're just absent from church, and we think, well, they don't care. And if they don't care, why should I care? Ah, friends, maybe they're absent for the same reason the man was belligerent. Maybe somehow the love of God is faded out. Maybe he's never gotten through to them with his immense, immeasurable love. Perhaps we Christians have not somehow been able to dramatize his love. Somehow they haven't realized that God loves us just as we are. He doesn't say, wait till you shape up. He is ready to shape us up. An illustration of this. Five years ago, we're holding a series of meetings in El Paso, Texas. One of the officers of the church came to me one day and he said, we had a little difficulty in our church several years ago. And he said, we took sides. And he said, my brother and I found ourselves on the losing side. And so my brother has not returned to church anymore, he or his wife. He said, my wife and I are in regular attendance. But he said, he doesn't come anymore. He hasn't been to church for about eight years. I said, well, we'll drop over to see him. Now, how would you go over to see a person who was apparently unconcerned so much so that he doesn't even set his foot in the church? Are you going to take him on? Are you going to him and say, look, you have brought, been brought up in the truth, whatever that is. You know. You know the truth. Is that the way? For a person who doesn't know the love of Jesus, what does he need? He needs to know that somebody cares. And there is no love that's not humble love. The love that gets up on stilts is not love. Jesus made himself of no reputation that he could save you and me. So a member of our team and I went over, rang the doorbell at this man's home. We'd never met him in our life. He came to the door, and as he came to the door, I said, Brother Pyle, we have come to apologize to you for what we've done to you. And immediately he started uh, trying to say, I'll shoulder my part of the blame, but I wouldn't let him. <laughs> I said, brother, we have made a mistake. We've been cold to each other. 
Lord, forgive us. Please, will you forgive us as a church for being cold? And five years later, we went back to El Paso. And his brother said to me, do you know what happened? After you came to visit my brother and his wife, and you apologized? I said, no, what happened? In fact, I had completely forgotten it. I said, would you please reconstruct the experience? I don't even remember it. He said, yes, and then he reconstructed what I've just shared with you. He said, my brother and his wife were so happy to think that you would come and dispense the love of God in that hum humble way. He said, they've been coming to church ever since. I said, I want to see them again. So I made arrangements. One night when they're in church, I said, may I visit with you people? I said, I had forgotten all about this visit. I said, what did we do when we came to your house? He, he said, brother, he said, you just began to apologize. We didn't tell him he was right. Why were we apologizing? Jesus, in his immense love, made himself of no reputation so people could open to his love. People cannot open to holier-than-thou love. The human heart cannot open to the kind of witness that says, listen, brother, you better sin the way we sin or you better stop sinning. That isn't Christ's way. He was infinite in purity. He was sinless, but he made himself of no reputation to get through to the human heart. He said, as I started to apologize or to say, I'll, I'll, I'll shoulder my part, he said, you wouldn't even let me. He said, for 30 minutes you told me about the love of God. And he said, brother, after you left, you travel all across America, he said, for six months my wife and I were trying to get you on the telephone to say thank you for coming. Now, my friends, that isn't Glenn Kuhn. I don't belong to a family who is naturally meek, do you? And you know when we do all the things that God expects of us, it has a tendency to make us feel like we must be a little better than the man that doesn't come to church. Isn't that a shame? God says esteeming others better than ourselves. Then there's the fourth class. It is the flippant class. Maybe it's represented by the woman of Samaria. You know, as Jesus sat down there beside the well and she came up there to draw water and Jesus engaged her in conversation, she flippantly said, uh-huh, are you greater than our father Jacob? Can't you see her in her flippant way? That's verse 12. In verse 15, she said, give me this water. Can you imagine that a heart that appears flippant, that's behind the, the facade of, of unconcern and flippancy and jesting and joking could be reaching out for the water of life? Let me give you an illustration. When I was pastor of one of our churches, I had asked the Lord that as I came there to minister, that the Lord would help me as never before in my sermons, in my conduct, to reveal a God who loves. For the only way we can love God is to know that we're loved by him. We love him because he first what? Loved us. So I said, Lord, in my sermons, may I magnify the crucified. He who was willing to come down through pastellar worlds and planets and systems to die on a cruel cross, help me to get through to hearts that are aching with this love, this concern, this infinite pity, 
that isn't looking down his nose to see what's wrong, but who is up there in heaven, who hears the groaning, as Psalm 102, 20, 19, 20 says. He hears the groaning of the prisoner. He's looking down, hoping that the prisoner will see him as he really is, so he can be loosed. About six weeks later, there was a gentle tap on the pastor's study where I was that morning. As I opened the door, a red-headed student of the college was standing there, and I invited her in. And this is the story she told. She said, Pastor, nobody, not a teacher, nobody around here has any idea that I have the first serious thought concerning my relationship to Jesus Christ. And as she said it, the thought came to my mind, neither did I think so. She said, I trip across the college campus with a don't-care attitude. I scoff a little bit, jest a little bit, turn people off a little bit. Nobody has the slightest idea that I have the slightest desire for Jesus. She said, I go back into my dormitory room. I fling myself on the bed. She said, Pastor, I have sobbed as long as an hour straight. I haven't dared to look up to God because I didn't know that he loved me. I didn't know that he cared. I didn't know that I meant anything to him. She said, sometimes I've actually sobbed for two hours straight in abject terror, hopelessness. She said that I would wash my face, tear up my eyes, step out on the college campus. I'd trip across the campus. Why? Why? Did you ever stop to wonder why? Especially young people. Why do young people so often take this attitude? There are two reasons. One is, unfortunately, somehow, we older ones have not been able to reflect to them a God who loves, who cares, who loves us just as we are, who knows we cannot shape up, but he wants us to know that he loves us, he'll forgive us, he'll cleanse us, and he will shape us up as we bring to him childlike trust. The second reason is they're afraid that if they should say to daddy or mommy or a teacher or a minister, they're afraid that if they should say, I have a little problem in my life, and, and they're afraid that we'll say, huh, you ought to know better than that. Haven't you studied your your Sabbath school lessons? Haven't you learned in our church day school? And they're afraid of that terrible stare, that holier-than-thou stare that we give a next, next week report as one missionary visit. Who wants to be heard anymore? The devil has already been accusing, accusing, accusing. They, don't, they can't stand anymore from human beings. Oh, we should open our hearts and let our boys and girls, our youth, and all with whom we come in contact know that God cares. If one has come to the altar to give oneself to God, a young child, and they stumble, we older ones shouldn't say, and you're the one that was at the altar a few nights ago? Oh, no, no, friends. We should say, you know, I've made mistakes too. One day I told my grandchildren when they were little tykes, I said, 
if you've made one mistake, granddaddy has made several. And they looked at me and they said, you have? Yes, I'm twice as old. <laughs> I happen to be older than twice as old. <laughs> when other sinners know that we know that we're sinners, oh, they can relax, you see. We sometimes have the wrong impression of what a saint is. We're holding a serious meeting to one of our colleges some time ago. We're walking at the cafeteria. I love the young people, don't you? And I walked past one of those tables where there was a group of college students, and I said, how are you saints today? And one of the young men looked up almost in terror. He said, wrong table. I said, well, you know what a saint is. He didn't know. He didn't know what I was going to slap him in a sainthood, you know. He did, I said, I'll tell you what a saint is. I said, a saint is a sinner headed toward heaven. He looked up with a little smile. He said, right table, right table. <laughs> you know, my friends, we need to communicate the love of Jesus Christ. I'm thinking of Patsy. <clears throat> Patsy was not married, but she was going to have a little baby. She wasn't attending church. One day we met with the church council and they said we want to recommend that we strike her name from the records. I had 10 churches of which I was pastor. I had no associate, held many evangelistic meetings. I didn't know Patsy. I said, has anyone visited with Patsy? They said, visit with her. Don't you realize? Patsy hasn't a single thought of seriousness. Don't you realize what she's done? But maybe she's sorry. Patsy? You don't know Patsy. Well, I, with, with, some, with some effort, I was able to get them to wait until I could see her. Went out the next day or so with my car. It was in the island of Grenada, where they have lots of cocoa groves. There's a cocoa grove in back of the house of her sister. Parked my car, ran up, knocked at the door. Mary answered, her sister. Mary, I'm pastor's, uh, Patsy's pastor. Would she happen to be here? She said, no, Pastor Coon. I said, do you think she'd be here a little later this, uh, this morning? She said, yes, Pastor Coon. They're very gracious there. I said, I'm going out and make a visit or two, and I'll be back in about 20 minutes, half an hour. If she should come back in, will you tell her that a pastor wants to see her? Yes, Pastor Coon. I came back, uh, came back about uh, 30 minutes later, knocked at the door. Mary came. Mary, is Patsy here now? No, Pastor Coon. Oh, uh, could it be, Mary, that... Patsy has been back since I was here. There was a little reluctance. Yes, Pastor Coon. Do you suppose that Mary, when she saw me coming up the front way, she was a little shamed and slipped out the back door? Yes, Pastor Coon. I'm going to make a little visit and I'll return. When, I, when she comes back and will you tell her that her pastor loves her? and that Jesus completely forgives, and I just can't find it in my heart to go back to my home till I see her. Yes, Pastor Coon. I must have come back about six times. Finally, Mary guided me up through the cocoa, up in the clearing, and there was Patsy, silhouetted against another cocoa grove, crying her heart out. We walked up to her, I placed my arm around her, and I gave her God's wonderful, loving, forgiving, cleansing promises. A is asked. And I asked God to forgive and cleanse her. B is believe, and we believed God would do it. C is to take it, and we took it. And the girl found deliverance in Jesus Christ, a prisoner loosed by the power of God. Dear friends, wouldn't you join me 
in asking the dear Lord to help us to see as Jesus sees. It is true that we look on the outward appearance, but Jesus looks into the heart. He sees these agonizing prisoners crying out, wondering if God still loves. Oh, that you and I could say, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, reveal to us the inward longing of these hearts, how sincere they are, but they don't know that God really loves. May we reflect his love in such a way that they'll know there's hope. And then, dear ones, there may be in this audience at this hour, dear ones who wonder whether God does love you. Oh, he said, I've loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I've drawn you. Look to Calvary, and he will tell you, come unto me. I'll give you rest. I'll forgive you. I'll cleanse you completely. Will you take him? Will you accept forgiveness? Dear Lord, thank you that as we come to you, you will not merely reveal to us the sincere hearts that are behind these masks, but you'll also reveal your love to every longing, crying soul. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.